following talk is from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Okay, as a church, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. While you're doing that, Helen, I think your hair looks absolutely great. Ephesians chapter 6. We've been going through this book of Ephesians, and I want to read from chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you, are, you can dis- extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication For all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Can we just pray together? Father, we thank you for your presence here with us today. We thank you that we're a mixed congregation of people from all different backgrounds, different stages of Christian life. Some of us may not even be Christians, some have been Christians for many, many years. Lord, I thank you. Not only are you here, but you speak to us as you have been speaking to us. So, Lord, would you continue to speak right into the situations of many people here and many, many people's lives, believing that your word will not return to you empty, but will accomplish that for which you send it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul, throughout the book of Ephesians, paints lots of pictures of what He thinks the church is like and what it should be like. It's been a series of looking looking at picture after picture of the church. And the reason we've called this series We Are, and then we've given it a title, is because we believe that we are to be the kind of church that Paul has been talking about in the book of Ephesians. This morning is about We Are Overcomers. That's the title. And as Paul concludes the book of Ephesians, he kind of rounds it off with one final picture of the church. And it's a picture of the church he hasn't really referred to throughout the book of Ephesians, but he wants to end with this because the people he's speaking to are going through tremendous times of persecution and difficulty. Their future is uncertain. Um, they're, they're, They're a bit confused. They're kind of thrown around by circumstances. And the final picture he gives to them is a church that's at war. And it's a theme that you find in Scripture, and he applies it in Ephesians 
chapter 6. So we've been, all, we've been using words like battle armor and, and, and what's all this about? Well, it's about the church being at war. And throughout the Bible, from Revelation to, uh, from Genesis to Revelation, <laughs> keep you awake, from Genesis, that's the first book, to Revelation, the last book in the Bible, uh, there is this declaration right through the whole of Scripture that there is actually an invisible spiritual war. And the fact that it's spiritual and the fact that it's invisible could cause some of us th- to think it's not real. It's, it's there, but you can't see it, you can't touch it. So it's not as real as if someone was to punch you around the face. That, that would be real. I heard Terry Virgo not so long ago speaking on this subject, and he just mentioned this phrase in passing, which I found really helpful. He said, it's not like a battle, it is a battle. And although the spiritual warfare is invisible, it's no less real. It's not like a battle, it really, really is a battle. And we as Christians have got to wake up to the fact of the reality of this battle. And so the Bible declares that there are two invisible kingdoms in the world today. And these are the kingdoms that are at warfare with one another. There's the kingdom of Satan and there's the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's declared as the kingdom of darkness and it's the kingdom of light. And everybody on this planet is in one of those two kingdoms. You might be Dutch, you might be Zambian, you might be Brazilian... But all people on this planet are part of one of these two invisible kingdoms. You're either in the kingdom of Satan, darkness, or in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of light. Most people do not know that they're in the kingdom of Satan. It's just not something that they know about. Some do know that, but most people probably don't. All Christians should know that they're in the kingdom of God. And one of the reasons you know you're in the kingdom of God is because the Bible says he has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of God's dear son. Suddenly you wake up and you realize, boy, I used to be in that kingdom, but I'm now in this kingdom. And that is the purpose. That is the most important thing that's going on. And referendums give you the choice to know which kingdom you'd like to be a part of, which nation you want to be part of, which continent you want to be a part of or not. Actually, at the end of the day, what's really important is whatever nation you're a part of, whatever your culture, which kingdom are you in? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness? So let me say this. My experience is that most of us Christians do not live in the reality of spiritual warfare as we should. Shall I repeat that? Because some of you look like you didn't get it. It's not as complicated as the one Jenny uh, read out earlier. (laughs) Most of us Christians do not live in the reality of spiritual warfare as we should. Because it's invisible. It's kind of not... So we get real tangible things. We believe in what we can see, but we're not so good at believing what we can't. And this is the danger. That leads to huge passivity. It means that Christians who don't know that they're in this spiritual battle all the time are ineffective. It's difficult to fight a war that you don't really believe in or to fight a battle that you're not sure whether it's there or not. It's always amazed me. I know that 
you know, a lot of you look at me as an old guy these days, but even I wasn't around during the Second World War, <laughs> despite the rumors. <laughs> but I have been told, and I have seen pictures of this, that during the war here in London, when bombs were coming in during the Blitz and people were being blown out and their houses were being devastated, you've all seen you know, the sound of the sirens and everyone runs for cover and... And in the morning when you woke up, it was just fires everywhere and the police and the sound of, of people in, in terrible devastation. They used to put posters up all over London. And the posters said a simple thing. It said this, there is a war on. Now, I've always been bemused by this. Why on earth would you have to tell people that there's a war on when you're being constantly, you know, blitzed? The issue is this. Life always gets back to normal. And when it's not happening, you forget about it. The reality of it goes, you know, you go to work, you get on with things. And there is a war on as a poster because people lived as if there wasn't. They put lights on when they shouldn't have done. They ate food they shouldn't have eaten. They weren't prepared to make the sacrifices. So, do you know what? I'd like to put that poster on every Christian's fridge. There is a war on because a lot of us just forget that that is the reality. Now, the whole issue of spiritual warfare is a very, very big topic. But I want to just, this morning, as fast as I can, take you through the little areas that we can cover today. And my aim is this, that you and I will be aware of the warfare that we're in. If there's nothing else, you just go out of here with the reality of this spiritual warfare. But hopefully with some weapons that can help you and me to, to just do it. And just, can I just say this? I, I wasn't going to mention this, but I will. The Gospels are all about Jesus bursting onto the scene. It's only three years that really account for the way that he ministered. And during those three years, this clash of these invisible kingdoms becomes very visible. And I don't think it's incidental for us to realize that when Jesus the Son of God comes onto the scene that principalities and powers and the kingdom of Satan and all the opposition, all the dark, everything that's connected there suddenly becomes very, very real and suddenly becomes something that actually comes to a place where people are aware the kingdom of God is here. Because we've all been living in this darkness. Light has come. Suddenly, there is an awareness of God coming in power. It's no different from today. It's just the same because Jesus is alive. I want to make three statements to do with warfare very quickly. Statement number one there is no dualism. Dualism means this you're fighting an equal battle and you're not sure about the outcome. Star Wars. Okay? Good versus light, good versus bad, light versus darkness. You don't know what's going to come out at the end. The battle we're involved in is not dualistic. Our enemy is already defeated. It's not an equal battle. When Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross, that was kind of like the greatest moment of weakness, it seemed. The, Satan, the kingdom of Satan we've been talking about and all its hordes thought, this is it, the son of God who we've been clashing against, he has now been defeated. He's dying on a cross. 
His real blood is shed. He gives his last breath, the moment of tremendous victory. What they didn't realize is that was the moment of their greatest defeat. That sin was being forgiven and eradicated. That all the things against man that separates man from God was being removed forever. The barrier was being removed. And actually the cross seems such a place of defeat. It's a place of glorious, wonderful triumph and victory. And then Jesus faces the next battle for him, which is death itself. And so he goes into the tomb and there he is, a dead body, and he faces the terrors of death. The Bible says three days later, he rose again from the dead. The Bible describes that as the last enemy. Death is the last enemy. So he's overcome every enemy, even sin, and then he overcomes death itself. And then the Bible says that he ascended. And he sat down today at the right hand of the Father on high. This one who's come to fight our battles, has fought the battle of sin, conquered death, and now he's been raised, it says, and sat down at the right hand of the Father on high, which signifies that the outcome of the warfare that we're involved in has been settled once and for all. So Ephesians, you're looking very... Anyway, so Ephesians chapter 1 says, Jesus was exalted far above. Every name that can be named and every rule and every authority. It's not like he's kind of even there, far above, out of reach. That's how victorious Jesus is. As you and I fight this spiritual battle that we're involved in, the one who lives in us and we live in him has already won the victory. The enemy is in the final death throes. And as the end comes to the end, you, really, you wonder why is there more and more activity of darkness and spiritual warfare going on all over the place? It's because he's thrashing around. Because he knows the end is in sight. I absolutely love this verse in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. He disarmed. Say disarmed. disarmed. Say it louder. That's an important word because it's past tense. He is not trying now to disarm the enemy. He has disarmed the rulers. He's disarmed them. He's taken their power away from them. He's defeated them. He has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing. Say triumphing. You're very good. It's a good audience. By triumphing over them in him, in Christ. There's lots of other verses, but it's just a wonderful thing. Listen, folks. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are not trying to win a battle. We are applying the victory that has already been won. But listen up. You can still get caught in the crossfire. That's why Ephesians chapter 6 Verse 10 to 20 is so important. You're not trying to win a victory. We've won the victory. We're on the winning side because of Jesus, not because of us. And we're applying that victory in every area of our lives. But there's still a battle. And it's still real, even though the enemy's defeating the thrashing. Loads of Christians get caught in the crossfire. Number two statement, number two warfare statement is this. The sovereignty of God. God is absolutely supreme and sovereign over everything. There is nothing that happens outside of the will of God. 
The devil does not have the power to rob God of his sovereignty. I've just made a very important statement. Sometimes Christians say, well, you know, maybe the devil, maybe he, maybe I'm, as if somehow God is, oh, sorry, I didn't see that coming. The sovereignty of God means everything that happens in life. He knows, he sees, he understands. He is never surprised by anything. And as we go into spiritual warfare, number one, there's no dualism. He's defeated the enemy. Number two, we have to know absolutely that God is sovereign. Because I tell you what, there's a whole lot of things happens in life that we don't understand. That's why Christians give up and walk away. I thought God was a God of love. You just haven't understood things. Well, of course you haven't understood. We live our lives with much misunderstanding and perplexities. But it's important for us to realize that God is 100% sovereign. I find that tremendous, wonderful assurance in my life as I'm fighting this battle. That we've already won and God is over all things. And the enemy can never rob him of that place. Number three, God has made some amazing promises. We're thinking about that in our worship and these promises are true. The thing about promises is sometimes they don't happen straight away. There's delays. When there is a delay after God has made a promise, it doesn't change the promise. And it doesn't change God's ability or power to make the promise become a reality. It's just a delay. And when we're in the delay, we doubt God and we wonder whether he'll be faithful and will he do these things. Well, the answer to all of that is he is faithful. He will do all these things because he has promised Because God has promised he will always be faithful. It's not like you and me, always promising things to people, forgetting that we've made them, changing our minds. God is not like that. So he makes amazing promises. So this promise that the warfare has already been won and the enemy's been defeated, and yet we see all these contradictory things that come, is just that we are living in the now and not yet. It's that the final victory of all, which is when Jesus returns and the enemy is once... He's been defeated and now everybody will see it. It hasn't happened yet. The writer to the Hebrews mentions this in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, to Jesus, he left nothing outside of his control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. It's true, isn't it? So it's kind of like weird, you know, everything's in his control, nothing's left out. But at present, in this age, we don't see everything subjected to him, but we see him. Who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour. So don't look at the warfare situation, oh no, I'm overwhelmed, the battle, we see Jesus. That's why the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Christians should not, never stop looking at Jesus. The battle's raging, we're losing. Look at Jesus, where is he? Crowned with glory and honour. The victorious one. The one who's won every battle on your behalf. The one who will win every battle on your behalf. And so we find that the promises of God are true. Here's one. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a spiritual warfare statement by Jesus. I think, well, the principalities and powers, gates of hell, seem to be doing an awful lot of good at the moment. They seem to be winning things. Here's the reality. I will build my church. You think there's a delay, but I will build my church, and the gates of hell 
will not prevail. We cannot lose. We are not losing. The church is triumphing all over the world because of Jesus. And he's the head of the church and we are in him. Okay, let's get, let's get to the text, shall we? Of Ephesians chapter 6. Four battle instructions. Now, if you're about to go into a battle and the general starts to make instructions, I guess it's quite important to listen. And I think Ephesians chapter 6 is like this. It's not just for the Ephesians church, it's for you today, 21st century Southeast London. It's like in this passage, Paul's saying we're in the spiritual warfare, it's a real warfare. We've won the victory in Jesus, but it's still going on. So listen up. So I'm going to say to you this morning, might be a bit stuffy in here. You'll be out in a few moments. Listen up. Lots of accounts of battles, physical battles in history, are about people who didn't listen to the instructions and great disaster. Charge of the Light Brigade. Everybody knows that from school. It was a disaster. They actually turned around and went down the wrong valley. And there were cannons. It was the last time British soldiers ever went in. I mean, they've got a horse and they've got a sword. And it all looks terribly dramatic, especially when you do a film about it. But it was nonsense. Because someone passed on the wrong message. They didn't listen carefully to what was said. The Battle of the Somme, 100 years ago, has been celebrated this week. There were lots of things that went wrong. Because people didn't listen. People didn't pass on things to other people. It's like Paul's saying, okay, you've got the reality of spiritual battle. Now listen up, because I'm going to give you some instructions. And these instructions could save you. And if you don't listen to these instructions, there will be consequences. So these instructions that Paul gives, there's four of them. They are not options. It's kind of like saying, do these things and you will always be overcomers. Isn't that amazing? Don't do these things and you will definitely have consequences. You see, it's impossible to be a Christian in this battle and not to be affected by what's going on. You're either overcoming, if I can just use a modern word, or you're getting clobbered. It's one of those two things. God's will is that you overcome. Instruction number one, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Please notice in this phrase, it's instruction number one. It's be strong in the Lord and in his might. It gives me the first instruction, oh, I haven't got the strength in myself to fight this battle. But the strength is in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I cannot win this on my own, which is very humbling for some of us. But it also says something wonderful to me. It assures me that all the strength I need in the battle is in him. It's in him and it's in his might. Everything I need to overcome the battle is in him. But here's the issue. Look at this verse carefully with me. It's the instruction is you be strong in the Lord. So there is strength in God. You can't fight this warfare without him. We need his strength, but you've got to get yourself into the strength of God. It's never your strength. So you be in him. What does this say? It means we need to depend upon him every day. I think Paul is saying, position yourself deliberately every day 
so that you can receive the strength from God. If you are a Christian and you do not do that daily, then you are susceptible to spiritual warfare causing defeat in your life. It says of David, when he was at the worst part of his life, he strengthened himself in the Lord. It doesn't say what he did, but whatever he did, you need to do it. And I need to do it as well. The issue is, you Christians, you be strong in the Lord's strength. So here I am. It's a new day. There's a lot of things I'm facing. Lord, here I am. What does it mean to position myself in him? Worship. Read the word of God. Pray. Involve the Holy Spirit. Don't just drift through life. I fear sometimes that some of us go from one day to the other just drifting through life. You know, it's okay, it'll be all right. And Sunday's coming, and I'll get a boost on Sunday. It'll keep me going through the rest of the week. The reality is this. You're in a spiritual warfare Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You can't afford to just live like that. Position yourself day by day. Start the day, if you can. Or if not, later in the day. But just keep yourself in the strength that the Lord has for you. Why is this such an important instruction? Because the enemy wants to weaken you, to make you ineffective. One of the things about the enemy is this. He knows the Bible probably better than you. So he knows, for example, there's a verse that says, none shall pluck them out of my hand. So he knows he can't destroy Christians because you're in Christ. But he's going to make you as ineffective in the battle as he possibly can. If he can get the whole church throughout the world ineffective, the battle will just keep going on raging. And so we as Christians need to be strong in the Lord. It's not an option. I can't do this, Chris. I've been around a long time, but I can't do this without daily knowing the strength that God can give me. I'm not prepared to drift. He wants to weaken me. So keep yourself in God. Instruction number one, be strong in the Lord and then strength of his might. Quickly say that to your neighbor right now. Be strong in the Lord, come on, and the strength of his might. Well done. Instruction number two comes in verses 11 and 13. Put on the whole armor of God. He mentioned it in verse 11, if you look at it, if you look in your Bibles. He mentions it again in verse 13. Put on the whole armor of God. But of course we're going to put on armor. Just imagine running into battle without armor. How ridiculous. It's like you're running into the battle naked. Don't think about that for too long. It's kind of like... That no one would do that when you've got missiles flying at you. What do you do? You put on armor. We're all laughing at it, but the reality is that's how lots of Christians live. They're running around, they're getting bashed up and pulled about, and their thinking's getting affected and everything because they haven't put on the armor. So Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. God, I love this. So God has got the armor. See? Everything to overcome the enemy he has got for you. But here's the issue. You are the one that puts it on. I can't put it on for you. You need to put on the armor. And every scholar knows that at this point, because Paul's in prison, AD 60, when he's writing this. And he says this. There is armor for you. And put it on. And in front of him, almost undoubtedly, there is a Roman soldier. 
The scholars say he actually is looking at a Roman soldier. He now describes in the next few verses the battle that the soldier has. Now, I haven't got time to go into great detail, but he covers six areas of weaponry. Here they are. Number one, truth. He says it's like a belt that you put around you. So in other words, truth is the central theme of everything in the Christian. You have to know truth because it sets you free. You have to know truth because, listen, this battle is not about feelings, it's about facts. And when Christians don't know truth and they don't know the facts of the gospel and what Christ has done for them, they are easy picking from the enemy who is a liar. That's a description of the enemy. So here's the liar and I don't know the truth. See how important it is to be clothed with truth. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers the heart. So what does this mean? It means Jesus and his righteousness has become imputed into you. It's at the very heart of who you are. You are in Christ. Don't budge from that position. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have an enemy who lies, who condemns. If you don't know the breastplate of righteousness, who you are in Christ, again, you will be sniped at. Without protection. So it's an amazing promise that, that's why the, it's interesting, the Bible often says, put on Christ. Put on, it's a funny phrase, clothed with Christ, put on Christ. It's really saying, don't budge. Don't move from your identity. So a, a, a Christian that overcomes against the enemy knows truth and knows their identity. You can't be swayed around when you know who you are in Christ. Number three talks about your feet are shod with the gospel of peace. What does that mean? It means the gospel is something that you and I need to get so deeply within us that wherever we go, we're carriers of the gospel. As you get the gospel in you, it comes out of you. And everywhere we go, we're good news people. Good news people are not easily defeated by the enemy because their eyes are not on themselves. Their eyes are on the good news that they're sharing with people. Number four, faith. It's interesting that as Paul looks at the Roman soldier, he's not seeing a guy with a little sword and a little shield. You know, one of those little ones you get with the kids. Roman soldiers had dirty, great, big shields. You've seen these in the films. And it's one of the ways they won battles because they would lock these shields together. It's called the tortoise. And they would walk through into battle. And however many darts, however many things were thrown at them, couldn't penetrate them. It's like God is saying, faith is like a shield that covers the whole of your being. When there are fiery darts, raise up your shield. Be a man and woman of faith. Darts of cynicism, darts of fear, darts of anxiety, darts of past disappointment. Put on the shield of faith. Number five, it's what I call salvation transformation. It's about a helmet that is over your thinking. The renewing of the mind. It's like salvation justification, you've heard us say this before, ends in transformation of your whole being. And number six, every single weapon so far has been protective and defensive. And then it said, God says, and now you've got a sword. This is the one part of your weaponry which is attacking, going on to the offense. It's the sword. And the sword is the word of God. And the sword is there to fight. You cannot fight without the word of God. And notice the word of God is the word of the spirit. And here you get those two things again, word and spirit. We need, number six, to be people of word and spirit. Brothers and sisters, if you don't know what the word of God says, 
you're in real trouble. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, Jesus just replied with the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. If you don't know what is written, you're constantly going to be defeated by this enemy. Our plea from instruction number two is this. Put on the whole armor of God. What does it really mean? Does it mean, David, I've got to go through this every day? It just means live in the reality. Be a man and woman of truth and righteousness and gospel and faith and let your mind be transformed by the gospel. Be a man and woman of the word and spirit. And as you do it, we will become overcomers. Sometimes Christians struggle. Well, obviously they do if they don't know these things in their life. Say to your partner or person next to you, or could be your partner in the future, you never know. (laughs) It came out a bit wrong, didn't it? Instruction, instruction number two, put on the whole armour of God. Go, quickly. Number th- I think I'm only going to get through two of these four, I'm afraid, but there we go. Why, why is it important to be strong in the Lord and to put on the armour of God? Why is it so vital? For two reasons. Number one, I'll give you two reasons. Verse 11 talks about the schemes of the enemy. Now, here's a really helpful thing for Christians. The devil has an idea. That's what a scheme is, a plan, a design, a thought pattern. He knows you, and he knows your weaknesses. He knows new community church's weaknesses, and he knows the weaknesses of this nation as well. And part of his strategy is to have schemes against us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. So that we might not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs or ignorant of his schemes. Problem is, a lot of us are. We are outwitted. We are ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. What are the schemes of the enemy? We are called to know what the schemes of the enemy are. And brothers and sisters, when you're living in truth, when you're living in righteousness and you're a gospel person and you're living by faith... And salvation is working through your whole being. And you're a man or woman of the word and spirit. You will start to discern the schemes of the enemy. That's why putting on the whole armor of God is so important. Being strong is so important. Is this the idea of me little Christian and the devil with big schemes against me to make me frightened? Remember the one who's scheming against you is already defeated. This is not to make you frightened. What is it then? Just get one step ahead. Wake up. Come on. Just realize you're in a spiritual battle and when things happen, oh, right. That's not just that, it's this. Please don't be naive. Be aware of the schemes of the enemy. Second main reason that we need to be strong in the Lord and put on the armor of God is this. You need discernment. Verse 12 is a long verse. It talks about cosmic powers. It talks about you know, all these kind of heavenly realms and everything. This is a massive, massive subject. Got about four minutes left. Let me just say this. It's really saying, get discernment as a Christian. It's really weird, isn't it? It talks about principalities and powers and then says to us, we do not fight against flesh and blood. Just bear with me for a second. One of the greatest distractions on the whole issue of spiritual warfare has been convincing most Christians that spiritual warfare is, woo! it's all mystical it's all kind of up there and I know I've been to Christian uh, conferences where if we could just discern the spirit over here and the spirit over there and get beyond the principalities and powers over there what does Paul say? be really careful because these, these, these principalities and powers are not they could even be people they're not mystical, they're earthy 
Paul, Paul is saying, it's an amazing thing he's saying, there are principalities and powers at operation. If I can get all the Christians, says the devil, to think, devil, to think they're all mystical and spooky-wooky, then that will do it. And we've missed it because actually Paul says, you can confuse them even with flesh and blood. You know what? I think a principality and powers are at work are something like this. Let's get all the Christians undermining one another. How's about gossip? We can get us a good church, but if we can get them all gossiping, that's flesh and blood, but it's actually not. It's a principality and power. Pulling down leaders. That's a good one to observe over the years. I mean, it's a scheme of the enemy. If I can get people, they don't go to the leaders, but they talk about them behind their backs. Before you know where you are, there's a principality and power that's operating. We have to be very, very, very careful. Unforgiveness, that's a massive one these days. If you're a Christian and someone's harmed you and you do not forgive them, you refuse to give them, you've just opened yourself up to a principality and power. Anything that causes division is not of God. The Bible says he has broken down dividing walls. So you know that he's already won that victory. Anything that causes division amongst us is a principality and power. What must we do? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you know this, these verses so well. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy, pull down strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive for Christ. That's all spiritual warfare terminology. We need discernment. So we need to resist, we need to rebuke, we need to fight, we need to wrestle. And here's the deal, we need to do the opposite. That passage in 2 Corinthians says that we are to destroy. What it means is to pull down strongholds. When you're in the spiritual warfare, the wonderful thing as church we get to do is pull down these spiritual strongholds. In our lives as individuals, across the churches corporately, and even in the nations of the world. And you do it by doing the opposite. This is where you come in with your armour, with standing strong in the Lord. Every time I hear gossip, I refuse to listen. What have I done? Just pull down a stronghold. I will speak well of people. I will speak well of my brothers and sisters. Even if someone's just told me, have you heard? Pull down that stronghold. If you can't forgive someone, let me tell you, the moment you forgive them, it's like a load is lifted off your shoulders. And you walk away from having received, given and received forgiveness. And you don't know this, but you've just pulled down a stronghold. Loving people not like me. Pulling down a stronghold. I'm going to finish with this in a minute. Can I just give you my two other instructions we haven't got time to look at? Because I've got to get to Elton. Instruction number three was this, verse 18. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Instruction number four was be alert. Pray in the Spirit and be alert. I'm going to finish this morning by pulling down a stronghold. And Evelyn just stirred me in worship to do this. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to finish with this. This referendum has had results. And please, I'm not making any statement on how anyone in this room voted. But look at the reality of what's going on. We're leaderless. There is disunity. There is fear. And now we have the situation where 42% of racial abuse has risen since this referendum. So you can guess what I think is behind what's going on. 
And if you today, so let's pull, let's finish by pulling down stronghold. If you today are here and you weren't born in this country and English is not your first language or maybe you're from another country and you're married to a Brit, all that thing and the whole rest, would you stand please where you are right now? If you were not born in this country, you have another language, there's a lot more of you should be standing than you are. Think about it, you know where you're from. There's Dutch, there's Germans, there's people from Nigeria, there's people from all over the place. It is imperative that you do not give yourself in to the lies and to the confusion that can be the result of what's behind this. And listen to me, look at me. We love you. We applaud you. You are absolutely equal with every single one of us who's in this room. You are welcome here. You are safe here. And we're going to finish this by applauding you right now, every one of you. Thanks for listening to this talk from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk.